Hello and welcome to this episode of the Gaming Podcast. The Gaming Podcast is the official podcast of Gaming Magazine, which looks at the video game world with a queer twist. You can check out more from Gaming Magazine by visiting www.gamingmag.com. New episodes of the Gaming Podcast come out every two weeks. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, please click subscribe so you don't miss another episode. We're here celebrating all that's awesome about LGBTQ video gaming, so remember every time you hear the words gaming or gamer, you can go ahead and pop that little letter Y into the middle of them. On the show today, I am joined by Matt and Amy. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are we? Wet. It's raining outside yes, as we very, record this. Very, very it. moist, you would mm. say. The forbidden <laughs> word. Ah, sorry. <laughs> the moistness. Mm. Being kicked from the podcast already, everybody. <laughs> You promised you wouldn't bring the tone down. I'm sorry. <laughs> on the fir- this is the first episode. It's the first episode we've ever done, and someone said moist within the first 30 seconds. I, I just wanted to establish uh, my role in this, that's all. <laughs> Bringing the moistness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're going to kick off, um, we are going to kick off with our first segment, which is lovingly titled, What's in Your Slot? Uh, this is the segment where we talk about, um, I ask each guest to talk about the game they're currently enjoying playing at the moment. Um, so I'm going to kick off first uh, with my default answer, which is usually a Lego game, because yes, that's yes. all I tend to play. Uh, and I'm currently playing the remastered Switch Harry Potter uh, two games that are packaged into one. Mm-hmm. Years one to four and years five to seven. Uh, five to seven, yes. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've noticed that in... For some reason, the, the the visual stuff is great. Obviously, the, the gameplay is still beautifully Lego-y gameplay. But I've noticed that they had this propensity for adding in slightly odd audio. Ah. And they're trying too hard to sort of be reflective of where they are in their environment. So there was a, pit, there was a bit in the first bit of the 5-7 to seven game that I was playing uh, last night where I walked under... Uh, what was meant to be a motorway bridge mm-hmm. and then the voice sort of went quite distancy and echoey as if oh, you're right. under a bridge sort of thing and I'm like it's Lego it's not meant to be sort of the ultimate recollect- um, creation of you're of not going sound. for like arch realism no exactly yeah. it's, it's, it's a Lego game about wizards mm. so I mean that's, that's exactly what I look for in worrying Lego. about the echo on a whether it's under a bridge or not is a bit a little bit random yeah so I, I always enjoy the Lego games but I feel like they, by design, you're meant to age out of them. So if you go and play, I don't know, the first Lego Batman, you might age through playing up to Lego Batman 3, but then you kind of find whatever the, the skin is, whether it's like Batman or Harry Potter or Jurassic World or mm. Marvel superheroes or Indiana Jones, it's almost always exactly the same experience behind it and it's it's really hard to kind of maintain any enthusiasm for those personally coming back to them again and again and again i think yes i i sort of take that i guess and i think you have to be a a sort of self-proclaimed big kid Mm. to sort of get into it in the first place um explains a lot about you robin yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that and a few other things um and i think that one of the things that i think does give that sort of good uh, replayability and, and gives it that good life is about all of the things you can get out there harvesting, all of the things you have to go and collect and the sort of completionist in you is really pushed. Mm. 
to find that. And I, it has been an interesting transition from old Lego, which was that what Harry Potter was, which was all about not actually spoken word. It was all sort of grunts and moans and that sounds unnecessarily wrong, but sort of <laughs> non-vocal um, noises and then people waving placards and whatever else to the current sort of phase of either using film footage voices or actually getting the cast back in to re-record or now as they are actually starting to tell original stories, mm. which I find quite amazing one as, thing they as do, a transition. One thing they do very well is um, kind of scratch that like fanboy itch. Uh, particularly if you're looking at, like, say, the Marvel and DC or Star Wars ones, where you've got vast expanded universes of incredibly niche characters, and somebody's favourite obscure character will almost certainly be in a Lego game somewhere. Absolutely, like, the, yeah, the, the that's most true. Like, yeah. I, I think background that, Marvel characters are in some of the Lego games, I, and, I, and I think it was a Marvel game that started that off. I, I think it was the Marvel Avengers one, where they went so deep into the comic book sort of histories to pick out some of the characters that we're featuring. I'm, I'm sort of sat there with my Marvel encyclopedia on my bed going, who the <laughs> hell is this? And I'm sort of like flicking back to all the way through the encyclopedia to find some obscure character that was cast like in, in one comic about sort of 20 years ago. And, I, and I kind of like that though. I kind of like how it, you know, even if, I don't know, like I only just found out a few months back that there was a hero called uh, Squirrel Girl in oh, Marvel. Yeah. Hmm. Or, uh, as the Americans pronounce it, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel, Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. So the whole thing is wrapped up in this this rhyming pun that does not work outside of America. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> very true. But, I mean, I kind of like how, you know, even if that's your favourite hero for whatever reason, she, like, she's in there if you want, if you want to play as But that's like. the point, and I, and I think you're right with the Star Wars reference as well. Um the 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 one they did for the first um, the first the new trilogy, um, they did that and it's massive sort of scope of a game, mm. but playing characters not only from the original uh, trilogy and the prequel trilogy but also through some of the animated stuff. I mean, going back into sort of uh, the Clone Wars was it, and then yeah. they had the other animated series that yeah, like Rebels, Rebels, that, that, Rebels, that utter sort of like real niche characters but you can have you can scratch that as you say scratch that fanboy itch by really sort of the dream of actually finding able to sort of play around it um amy what is your what game are you playing um i am scratching my horror itch i'm playing uh dead by daylight um that was very recent i decided that you know instead of just watching streamers play i was like i'm gonna give it a go you know like i i'm not a horror fan by any means like I can't get through Alien for one Alien is terrifying no no idea how people do it but I can't but uh, yeah I decided to play Dead by Daylight it's where you play as survivors and you have to escape this like map like by doing generators so once you do the generators a door opens up and but all the time you're being stalked by a killer and um well, it's constantly riffing on 80s slasher movies, really, isn't it? Yes, yeah. definitely. It's like, oh, your favourite killer is Michael Myers. Well, you can play as him constantly. Mm. And, you know, I understand why horror fans really like it, because it's got everything that you... Like, you know, if you have a favourite killer, it's probably in there. Like, I've, I know um, they're trying to get Pennywise in there, and I'm like, no, this game is terrifying enough, thanks. <laughs> favourite fictional killer, we should specify. Oh, yes, I'm so <laughs> yes, sorry. Right, like Ed Gein <laughs> isn't in there. Yeah. <laughs> is anyone, like... Harold Shipman DLC. Yeah. Oh, God, no, please. 
<laughs> this is getting too real. Should too not fast. be laughing about that. Um, I've always been fascinated by horror games. It's not. I'm don't. I'm not a big horror fan in the mm. real world, in the movie world, and I play. Um, I can't even remember the title. I blocked it out. But there was this petrifying zombie game mm. that had like a daytime and a nighttime environment. And the daytime one was scary enough. Wait, Dying wait. light? Yes, yes. Th- th- then it went, when it went to nighttime, I lasted about five minutes then turned it off because no. that was intense. And I, I just don't really sort of click with it. But what I found fascinating, I think we covered it on gaming a couple of weeks ago for Halloween, is that a lot of streamers do horror. Yeah, they do. And not just um, streamers in general, but also particularly, very particular LGBT streamers and drag LGBT streamers. They love doing horror, and mm. I've, I've always been fascinated as to why that is. Well, it's because our existences are horrifying enough. True, That's fair very point. True. And drag makes everything better. Sure. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll move that one to a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> Matthew, what have you got in your spot? Uh, I am, uh, first of all, objecting to that title. Um, but um, no, I'm kind of. Uh, bit schizophrenic in my playing at the moment so I'm hopping between the Outer Worlds um, Pride Run uh, because I love me a rhythm action mm. um, if I could have a DDR machine or um, like a Space Channel 5 arcade cabinet in my house I absolutely would um, and uh, a bit of the Age of Empires 2 remaster oh I'm very jealous um, I love which I'm, I'm very bad at I'm not good at strategy games no, I'm not good at them. I, but I just, when I played it as a kid, like in a very old rickety uh, desktop, I just loved uh, building things. Like, yeah, people were killing me, but I had a good fine, like, you know, a good time building things <laughs> while that was happening. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the Outer Worlds is probably getting the the bulk of my playtime at the moment. Um, I mean, it is pretty unashamedly Fallout in space, but given... It's Obsidian. They did Fallout New Vegas. Mm. Not terribly surprised. Mm. Um, but I'm just loving it. The, the the richness of everything from the character generator through to just the sheer inventiveness of the worlds is just mind-blowing. I played a little bit of it over this weekend, actually, and it, it sort of struck me very quickly um, how sort of almost borderlands it is as well. Um, I can kind of see that in the aesthetic, but the gameplay is totally... Mm. Well, the gameplay can be totally different. Like, if you want to invest all your stats into making your character like this rogue, gun-heavy shooter, uh, which I'm not, I'm kind of going for more of a shooter-stealth balance, mm-hmm. um, I could see it maybe being much more of a, a borderlands type shooting experience. Um, the other thing I'm really liking about it is just the sheer complexity of the moral choices. I think the, the last game that was as... Um, perpetually shaded in grey as uh, The Outer Worlds was probably The Witcher 3. Mm. Like, the, There's very few points in the game where you make the you know, quote-unquote good choice. Yeah. Like Everything is nuanced. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that with some of the interactions with the characters mm. is that, that the answers you could give or the questions that you could ask, they weren't black and white. They, mm. they weren't yes or no, I won't take this mission, I will take this mission. Mm. There, was, there were a lot of more layers in it. Mm. And I think that as you say, because the way you build your character, there are some persuade bonuses, there are some argument bonuses, there are sort of ways and means of building yourself into... Mm. Do you sort of take the slightly darker route or do you take the slightly lighter route? Or even then, do you want to sort of go and face down this enemy with a gun or do you want to go and try and talk to them? Mm. Or, And I think, yeah, it's it does 
that is obviously the step away from Borderlands. I think the Borderlands reference for me was more just the immediate visual um, and then obviously playing into it is on a, a stronger RPG element, obviously, because mm. of those those interactions. I mean, it's, sorry, I mean, this is interesting to me because I haven't played it, but I, I know everyone's telling me to play it. I just haven't had the time. <laughs> but yeah, this is interesting to me because I was, from what I'm getting from online is that... Uh, like you said, it's very all out New Vegas in space. It feel, but uh, I've been told it's basically you are fighting capitalism all the way through it, and I think that's interesting for a game that's very blatant with its politics. Mm. And we do have to sort of recognise as well that one of the characters in the game, uh, Pavati, is um, very clearly unident- uh, fully identifiable as asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a great thing for us, for LGBTQ representation, mm. and and good for actually sort of getting beyond that sort of very uh, binary option of of just either uh, gay or lesbian, male or female. Mm. So that's that is a really positive thing, and I think we can talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. Um, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back with what's hot on Game Magazine right after this. <laughs> Amy, you love yourself some merch, don't you? Yes, I love some merch. Well, brace yourself, we now have gaming merch. Ooh. Yes, indeed. We have caps, t-shirts, hoodies, bags, and so much more with three amazing designs. We have the gaming magazine logo design alongside two really cool wordy designs, one saying game on and one saying let's go gaming. And yes... That is with the Y in the middle of those words. They sound awesome and I want them all. Well, Amy, you and all of our UK and EU listeners can head to gamingmag.com forward slash merch. That's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G mag.com forward slash merch right now and go shopping. It's Christmas coming up too, don't forget. So go treat yourself and your gamer friends. Gamingmag.com forward slash merch, you say? Yes, indeed. Gamingmag.com forward slash merch. Welcome back. Um, I'm here with Amy and Matt, and this segment is called Best of Gaming, where we talk about our pick of the latest stories from Gaming Magazine. You can go and check out the stories that we're talking about and any other story on Gaming Magazine, again, by checking out G-A-Y-M-I-N-G-GamingMag.com. One day I'll get that right. Um, I mentioned it a minute ago um, about Outer Worlds, so I'm going to keep talking about Outer Worlds while we're on that topic. Uh, there was a fantastic piece done by Elizabeth Henges uh, on Gaming Magazine recently, talking specifically about Pavati and the importance of ace representation, LGBT representation in games, um, and the fact that it's done properly. And I think that's always our little bugbear yeah. at Gaming Magazine, is the fact that a lot of people try to do LGBT representation, and that is inherently a good thing, um, but very few people actually manage to do it properly. And I think Elizabeth uh, very rightly picked up in her piece about how wonderfully done uh, Pavati is in Outer Worlds. Um, it isn't it isn't hugely choreographed. It's not immensely sort of like lent upon. It's not like a massive flag-waving moment, but it's a blinking... It's almost a blinking you'll miss it, but it's really important. Yeah, if you don't make the right um, character or dialogue choices, you, you could entirely miss it. There's um, a quest early on where... Um, you meet somebody at a second encampment from the one you start at who had a crush on Pavati, and she's just a little distanced from it. And it, you, if you don't then pursue the correct, quote-unquote, mm. uh, character or plot moments, then that just kind of comes across as she's shy. 
Uh, but if you can delve a bit more into her background, if you keep her with her as a companion and follow more of her particular plots, then, yeah, you get this great little bit of representation for a fairly niche and marginalised group. Absolutely, and, and, and it's a group that it is tricky sometimes to express um, that community mm. and that group of people purely by definition of the fact that as you said, they might come across as being shy. And this is what's so important about authentic representation is it, that's the same in real life. Yeah. Because we might meet people in our real lives who we think, oh, they're just shy. Oh, they don't like talking about sex. Oh, they don't like this. They don't like that. And, and that's fine. But actually, they're asexual, they're pansexual, bisexual, gay, lesbian. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. because you're talking about it in, in general terms. And I think that's the whole thing. And particularly, again, that's what really sort of thrilled me about this character is that it's not broadcast in a way of hey i'm ex i'm <laughs> my name is pavati and i'm asexual it doesn't yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter you're not going to do that in real life mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter in the game and i think that to me is like a really important thing and it, it sort of spills out not only throughout our world and, and i'm really excited to the fact that we have got an interview coming out soon, soon. um with one of the narrative designers from outer worlds um and it'd be great to sort of understand how they went about writing that piece, the research that went into it, because it obviously mattered and it obviously did a very good job. Um, and I always lean back into Borderlands at this point as well, because that's just what I do. But Borderlands is a great example of another game that doesn't necessarily flag their sort of LGBT representation because it's a blink and you'll miss it yeah. uh, references as well. And, and that is real life. That is the whole point about all this. Yeah, we I have, um, sorry. No, no, I, I think, Sometimes the littlest things matter the most. And like you said, with Pavati um, talking to Elizabeth, it was such a pivotal moment for her. Oh, a pivotal moment for her because she, like you said, it was very rare to see someone like herself there. And like you said, you know, people feel like they're shy, but it's on like the other side. People may think, oh, they're just a prude. Like, I feel like the problem with some LGBT representation in video games as well as TV shows is that it's very sexualized, very, mm. very sexualized. Mm. And that's fine. It's it's very, it's you know, if people are into that, that's fine. But sometimes it pushes people who don't feel represented out. And it's a shame. It's a real shame. And it can backfire because then you get bigots latch on and say that oh see all these gays and lesbians and trans people they're just obsessed with sex mm, yes exactly absolutely and and it is tricky as as you you rightly say amy that that representing some of these sort of other groups in the media it is tricky to do that and it should be because they're not as obvious as black or white gay or mm. lesbian and in i had a conversation with someone the other day about um in who works in advertising Having a gay couple, having a lesbian couple on screen in an advert is easy. You put two boys there, you put two girls there. Done. <laughs> We're trying to get a bi couple across yeah. in an advert is very difficult because people just make those automatic assumptions of either gay, lesbian or straight. And one of the big problems with any kind of bi representation is it broadly falls into one of two categories. Bi women are objectified for a a straight male gaze it's like they're the lesbian but they might want a guy involved at some point and bi men just don't really exist mm. like the, the representation of bi men is vanishingly slim and until very very recently if they appeared at all they were usually the villain or the creepy outsider mm. or the weirdo 
because it's that is threatening to a straight male audience. Absolutely. Um, and video games should be the the venue where you can represent bisexuality best because they're particularly in games like the Outer Worlds where your player character is whatever you make of it. Mm. You could pursue um, romance or relationship choices as you want, but because they're blank slates left to be the player avatar, it's an, is it really representation? Because it's just you're then just projecting yourself onto it. It's not written in and set in place as this is a bisexual character mm. or this is a gay character. Or a I do think that's possibly a step that people have to start taking more mm. in games. I think there is a big, as you say, this whole thing about you can create your character and you can play it the way you want to play it, fine, good, obviously, but we learn through doing and we learn through other people's experiences. So should people, should there be a gay character as a lead character that is gay full stop or bi or lesbian or trans or whatever that you have to play, whether you yourself are bi, gay, lesbian, trans uh, or queer plus, etc. Because spending time in that person's shoes, even if it's in a game, I think actually... <laughs> would force people to sort of play. I mean, having all these gay options or these lesbian options are great because people can ignore them. Whereas if you actually push people into doing that, I think that's more of a learning opportunity. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's why uh, another reason why um, in Fire Emblem Free Houses, yes, you women have way more options than gay men, which is horrendous. And... But what really stands out about it is that even though we have options, it's the queer lifestyle, it's not part of the game. And I understand that it feels like it is because fandom and the internet makes it feel like it is. But in-game, like, yes, everyone is bisexual, but there is never, ever an actual gay romance option. It's very, very rare. And there was the uh, controversy around launch where if you were playing as male Bile, I think you pursued the relationship with um, one of the particular characters whose name I'm unfortunately forgetting right now. But if you max out the relationship stat with him, um, you get to the end of the game and he's like, oh, actually, takesy says go marry her. <laughs> and it's it's such a... It was a complete, uncomfortable bait and switch. It, yeah. yeah, I was going to be a bit rude and say it's a complete cock tease. Um, <laughs> but because it kind of was, and, and this is actually something that we actually fell foul of in a way with gaming. We had an amazing review written by a very capable journalist, an amazing journalist, Dom, from the Daily Star. Shout out to Dom. Um, he did an amazing review based on what he was allowed to play up to the point of embargo um, with uh, Fire Emblem and wrote a fantastic piece for us, put it out there, and, and rightly so, playing that first third or whatever he was allowed to play, he was quite happy and excited to write about the fact you have all these bisexual options as he was experiencing the game to a certain point. And so he wrote that, other, other sites wrote about it on blogs, etc., and Twitter was going hugely exciting and everyone was loving it and thousands of people were coming to check out the article on gaming, thank you very much. Um, and then when the game was released and it and people played beyond the point of the embargo yeah. and it suddenly became obvious that ha that nearly all the male relationships were either just good friends or let's just <laughs> hold hands or go and marry someone else anyway. Yeah. Suddenly it was like 
people like reviewers like Dom and our site were being utterly bombarded with people blaming us for telling them that they could be by and play all these amazing options. And I'm like, no, no, play, go and blame the developers. Don't blame me. We're just reporting how Dom saw it. And nobody's picking up on the fact that it was a massive bait and switch. Yeah. Well, um, we should uh, clarify that Dom did do an update to the piece afterwards. He did. Yes. Well, that was actually the whole thing. Yeah. We actually had to put a, a, a disclaimer on the top that linked through, because he did an amazing, he then did the review for the Daily Star, which then absolutely sort of, um, he... I believe his review was one of the lowest because he actually stood up for the community and said, no, this is not good enough. Mm. I think a, a lot of other outlets were falling over themselves to sort of give it like nine and a half, like out of 10 sort of thing. And I think he gave it sort of seven, seven and a half. Yes. It's a shame because like mechanically, Fire Emblem Three Houses is one of the best entries in the series. Yeah. It is a mm. brilliant strategy RPG. Mm. Um, Story is very good mm. as well. Very good. Well, this brings us on quite nicely, actually, to asking Amy what she's been playing. Uh, sorry, not what she's been playing. What she's uh, was read has been reading on uh, gaming. Oh yeah, um, male by love, uh, getting a new romance option, who is called Jaritza, and it's funny actually because going back to what Matt said, um, by characters, uh, by male characters, are seen as creepy or almost psychopaths, and Jaritza just. Falls right into that slot. And you have to kind of wonder, is it a knob? I don't really feel it is, personally. I mean, great that they're finally adding, like, representation into it. Like, but I'm, I am wondering if they added it in because of the outrage or because they already had it planned. I kind of feel like it's the former, personally. And I just don't think it's good enough. And even as, you know, a gay woman, I had all these options. And, but even then, it's kind of like, like I said, there was no, there's no queer lifestyle. There's no characters that you can pick out and be like, hey, they're queer. And there's like the representation. It just isn't good enough. And I know outrage culture is a huge thing. So these are characters, just for clarification, because as someone that hasn't played the game, mm -hmm. these are cl these are all characters that you can basically make choices for and twist and turn their story how you want to play it. There's nobody actually intrinsically in the story that is 100% gay or bi or whatever. You can just make those choices to make those characters go where you want them to go. You, you woo them. Yes. Okay, wooing. Hmm. They can also woo each other, but even then, you kind of have to guide them to do it and, like... You know, it's you, nice. you set them up on really awkward classroom dates. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, kind of beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so introducing this this new uh, romance option. Obviously, we talked a little bit then about the whole bait and switch sort of thing. So, is it good enough? Are we happy with it? No, I, no. I mean, I don't feel like. I mean, people asked for Jaritza and they got Jaritza and it got new art and everything, but it didn't get half as much as content as the other romance options. And if you think about it, if the effort's not being put in for the like second only male romance option, then it's nowhere near good enough. And I feel like Nintendo can actually look to Mass Effect Andromeda, who added um, a buy romance option for male rider, um, that was due to 
I hesitate to call it outrage culture because I don't think gay men saying, hey, this isn't good enough, is outrage culture. Mm. That's me personally. I know outrage culture goes a bit wild sometimes. Um, recently, um, we talked, well, there was a post on gaming about someone being very upset with Pokemon and actually asking Donald Trump to sort the sales out. Like, hey, Mr. Trump, can you so make... I, I think we should sort of talk about why people were upset with the mm. new Pokemon. Um, That's fair. Which is um, basically the new game doesn't have every single Pokemon ever made in it, uh, which they announced months ago. And I can kind of understand the disappointment, especially if you've been playing Pokemon since, you know, year dot, when the tagline was gotta catch them all, which Nintendo uh, either chose to abandon years ago or was I, there may have been some sort of American consumer ruling because it incentivized kids to try to spend an obscene amount of money on collecting all the merchandise or something. But uh, they they long since abandoned gotta catch them all as a slogan, but that's still like embedded in a lot of fans' minds. So when the the first home console release of a Pokemon core game comes around and you can't fit every Pokemon you've ever caught or transfer them all over on, I can understand there being some disappointment. Mm -hmm. To then flip out and um, launch almost a, a coordinated online attack campaign against yeah. Nintendo because it doesn't have some fictional battle monsters in a game to me feels a bit too far and to then complain to Donald Trump <laughs> is, is just farcical but the complaining just for context the complaining to Donald Trump is actually using the uh, American system of what we have in the UK which is the petition system yeah so you can petition obviously over here we can petition the House of Commons to debate something and you, the White House has a very similar sort of thing uh, built into their thing but I don't think it's used for uh, people being angry at their game not including every single thing they want to do um, and I think we talked about it pre uh, previously as well is that people I don't think understand the technological limitation of even the modern most amazing systems I mean how many Pokemon are we up to now in the world is it like close to I think a thousand oh. with the new Pokedex so you're, um, so okay, you're trying I thought to... it was 500 so, yeah, so, so <laughs> you... welcome to like Gen 4 <laughs> uh. so, so you're trying to theoretically as, as a developer you have to you're being demanded to program design function building functionality all the unique characteristics of over a thousand characters mm -hmm. and then render them and then in an environment in a 3d environment which they've barely done before mm. even uh, though that's only a, a limited area of the new game yes mm -hmm. um, okay i mean so i'm going to heavily caveat that this that it comes from some leaks which haven't been corroborated mm -hmm. yet but uh there has been some discussion online that some of the uh character models are either the same or barely upgraded from Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is the previous generation's games. Um, even so, having the, the same models in a much bigger game on a more demanding piece of hardware like the Switches, I can see why they perhaps didn't fit them all in. Um, I also think you, people need to keep a little bit of context because ever every single Pokemon generation has had like the the intercourse. So Pokemon Red and Blue, you had Pokemon Yellow, 
gold and silver, you have Pokemon Crystal. I feel there will inevitably be that for um, Sword and Shield. Maybe they'll add more Pokemon in there. Maybe they'll put in a full Pokedex then. I kind of feel a lot of people are jumping um, jumping to arms over nothing so far. Absolutely. And I've, I'm talking of complaining. I think that leads us quite nicely into, <laughs> into what you've been reading on gaming this week. Well, yeah, so uh, one time of uh, fan complaining work using their powers for good uh, has been the, the redesign of uh, Sonic in the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So... Um, the original trailer was released at the start of the year, and uh, Amy was the only person <laughs> on Earth who liked that movie design, which was an absolute horror show with human teeth and tiny, tiny killer eyes. Um, Matt's throwing me to sound like the Hedgehog fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Tweet at Hi Honey, it's Amy. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but um, the, the reaction to the original trailer was almost uniformly negative and um paramount the movie studio producing it and the director jeff fowler um i think a day two days after the trailer dropped was like okay we're we're going back to the drawing board on this um and then uh at the end of may they announced they were delaying the release of the film from what was meant to be november 2019 to february 2020 and this week, the new trailer dropped with the redesigned Sonic, and he looks like Sonic. It's it's nice. Well, I think that's uh, the whole point, isn't it? The fact that if, if you ask someone to draw Sonic, the first thing they're going to go for is the blue spikes. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to do the eyes. Mm. Sonic is about that sort of almost mono-eye effect. Yeah. And one of the things they've done really cleverly, I think, in the design is he's he's now got those like massive cartoonish eyes, Um but they've still kept it as two distinct eyes for the film design. And if you look closely at the games, he's actually just got this one massive like white puddle with pupils in. Um, but they've just used very clever shaping of the eye holes and uh, tidy colouring mm. in the bridge between them to give the illusion when you glance at him that he's just got that one massive mm. eye. And then th- there's little touches like he's got gloves on again, whereas he just had white fur before. His tr- His trainers look like big, exaggerated, cartoonish trainers and not, like, realistic Adidas or whatever. Um, it, it feels like they've actually listened to the fans in a positive way rather than just gone, oh, God, like, they're ganging up on us. Run, run. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? There, there's a debate somewhere between... Is, was it... Because it, it, from what I saw, the, the, the fans actually surprisingly behaved in actually quite a constructively positive mm. kind of way. Um, and the studio listened to them in a respectful kind of way. Yeah. I think there's a happy medium somewhere between those two. Yeah, of... I think what helped was you saw quite a lot of um, tweets and uh, Tumblr and Reddit posts going quite viral of people with kind of constructive criticism. So they'd done their own redesigns of the original movie design, like t- like just taking uh, stills and frames from the, the first trailer and photoshopping their own mm. take on a, a more traditional Sonic design into it, showing that you you can do it reasonably easy. You know, obviously that's a fan doing it at home on Photoshop is a lot different to a movie studio having to like fully redesign, render, composite all those shots. But it, it I felt that showed almost like a willingness to work with the mm. movie studio and be like, hey guys, you've got this wrong. How about something more like this? You can do it. And I've I read online they actually pulled in 
one of the old Sonic designers. From the yeah. games? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, to, to sort of work on it, which is kind of where you thought you'd start to start off with, if yeah, you're honest. Yeah, you would think so. Um, but then I guess they learned the lesson on that one. So um, it's just a shame they didn't keep the human teeth, really, isn't it? No, no nobody liked the human <laughs> teeth. You are it. wrong. Well, I liked it. The, the, that's <laughs> literally the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> but it, it's it's not like Sonic's design has never evolved. Like the mm. the Sonic Generations games are a really good example of that, where you've got like classic like late eighties, early nineties Sonic meeting you know three D game Sonic, and then he'll look slightly different in the Sonic Boom um, animated series and the spin off games to that. So it's not that people were up in arms that they'd dared to change Sonic's design. I think it was more that they'd changed the design and gotten it so, yeah. so wrong. And what was fascinating is actually they went, they went after the whole sort of Pokemon uh, movie discussion. Uh, Detective Pikachu. Yes, the trailer, that's the one Detective um, Pikachu of that. that yeah. Everyone was so fascinated because the designs were all more or less perfect, mm-hmm. but it was the fur that was bugging a lot of people. And was putting, and there was a lot of discussion online about how should Pokemon be furry or are they smooth? Or, and I love the fact that this in in this one, um, the Sonic movie, that he had fur, but that was the tip. That was the least most <laughs> concerned to a lot of people. It's because there was no, it wasn't even a mention of the fact that old oh, Sonic's furry. Yeah, they sort of skipped that bit and went straight to what the hell have you done to the rest yeah. of it? And the, the new design hasn't completely capitulated to every single complaint. He's you know he's still furry more so than quilled mm. but if you look at a real hedgehog they've got like fuzzy little cuddly bellies that you just want to tickle uh, <laughs> oh, before you get to the the quills on on the top but the set Amy off again <laughs> the, the texturing looks a lot more a lot closer to and I hesitate to use this well this word a lot closer to realistic um while still involving a cartoonish anthropomorphic super speeding hedgehog so what's just to wrap up? What's the sort of the the lesson we've learned about complaining to companies? Do it respectfully and without being a dick on the internet. It's Robin's rule of life: don't be a dick. Yeah. Good. Uh, we're back in just a minute to talk about this week's hot topic. Right after this break. Welcome back. Uh, I'm still here with Amy and Matt. And we always finish up the podcast with the hot topic segment, a small discussion about a big topic. Uh, this week's hot topic is regarding the Google Stadia. Um, is it the future of gaming with streaming? Uh, and I'm going to throw over to Matt to kick us off on the Google Stadia. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a complicated topic because so for anybody who doesn't know, Google Stadia is Google's first real entry into. "Quote unquote proper gaming," um, except it's going to be an entirely cloud-based streaming platform. Um, it's been announced a few months ago, um, and it launches uh, November the nineteenth, which is next Tuesday, as we record this. Um, it's also confused a lot of people. So when they first announced it, everyone seemed to get the impression that it was going to be a, uh, a Netflix for games. You pay a monthly subscription, you get access to a streaming library of titles. It's not. It's going to be two offerings, Stadia Pro and Stadia Base. Stadia Base won't launch until early 2020. Um, so if you want to get in on the ground floor, your only option is Stadia Pro. At the moment, that's only available if you buy the Founders Edition from 
Stadia, which is a very fancy controller modeled heavily on the Xbox One joypad. Um, and it comes with a Chromecast, and that's that's it. That's all you need. There's no console or um, you know, physical hardware beyond the controller involved. Um, the differences in the service are Stadia Pro will allow you to stream games in 4K HDR with surround sound, and Stadia Base, when it launches, will max out at a full HD 1080p image with uh, stereo sound. Now, the subscriptions are where this starts to get even more confusing. For Pro, you'll be paying £8.99 a month and a comparable amount if you're in different economic territories. But that is only access to the platform to get the 4K HDR content and the um, surround sound. You then still need to buy your games on top, and they're priced at comparable to physical retail or digital downloads through, say, Steam or PSN or Xbox Live. So it's been a confusing offering to a lot of people. Um, I wonder whether there is actually a market for games where you don't own them. Because even if you even if you take away the, the physical side of it with, say, Steam, you know, nobody buys physical PC games mm. anymore, but you've still got those games installed on your hard drive or you can back them up. Or if you're buying your PC games through uh, GOG, for instance, you can just download the installer and it's entirely um, DRM-free. With a cloud-based service, th- there's you're even further removed from any sense of ownership over it. Google's past record on abandoning services it's launched, like, say, uh, Google Wave a few years ago when it tried to kind of reinvent what email could be. Nobody has a Wave account. It's stepped away from groups. Like, it's got this disconcerting tendency for giving up on services if they're not successful. And I wonder how long they'll stay invested in Stadia well, this is like, really concerning, isn't it? Because, as you say, it's, th- there's been a lot of mixed messages around Stadia. Let's just park the whole sort of streaming challenges for a second. But th- in theory, you're not owning anything apart from the controller. You are paying a subscription fee just for the pleasure of playing the game, which... In, in 4K. So in, in, okay, the, in yeah. 4K. Um, so again, you might not have the kit and the TVs to handle 4K. And yet you're still paying full price for a game that you actually don't physically take possession of. Mm. That's weird. (laughs) Just a little little weird. Mm. And I kind of wonder how much of it is generational. Um, You know, our kids who grow up in a a streaming economy, you know, when they they don't buy a Blu-ray, they just go to Netflix or Amazon or iPlayer. Are they going to be phased by the idea of not having a physical game and not downloading a game and just turning the controller on and bam, you're you're playing your game? Because there are some positives to this, obviously, about the whole idea of streaming. Is that, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but you can. This takes the whole let's play a game together. I'll pop round to your house to an absolutely new level because you can just walk into someone's house, plug your Chromecast into the or Chrome or whatever it's called now into the TV with the controllers. And off you crack. 
And there's none of this sort of lugging boxes and stuff around and consoles. And no, it, it could be as simple as that. Or um, because so Stadia is the the platform. It is entirely cloud based. Mm, okay. The fact that they're shipping a Chromecast with the Founders Edition, it seems almost incidental at this point because right. you you will be able to go to the Stadia website, log into your account through there sync a controller mm-hmm. and play through that so you could hook your laptop up to a tv or you could play directly through your laptop or on your desktop computer or you know on a smart fridge in two years or something um <laughs> it, it, it's entirely web-based rather than tied to the hardware aside from the controller and you will eventually um even be able to use your own controllers with it mm-hmm. so you won't need the the official Stadia controller. If you've got uh, an Xbox controller you use on your PC um, or a third party controller, you'll be able to connect those up. Um, I, I think it's it's quite telling that the official Stadia controller is so heavily modelled on the 360 mm. or Xbox One layout because any like that that's almost become the industry default. So any controller that loosely matches that. You know, D-pad on the left, four buttons on the right, two thumbsticks, four shoulder buttons, a start and a um, select button equivalent. Mm. All the games will will map to that, whichever particular. I was going to say because that helps them with games that are either in development or out already that are coming to Chromecast by not trying to reinvent that wheel too Mm. much. It means, as you say, they can literally just port it over. All the buttons work. Crack on. And And he's getting original content as well? Yeah, so at launch, the only original game is, uh, so rather the only exclusive game is Guilt, uh, G-Y-L-T, which I'm sure as the game progresses will turn out to be some (laughs) homophone-based pun. Um, (laughs) But um, that's by Tequila Works, who do excellent software. I'm not sure it's really going to be a system seller. It seems... Very much in the vein of um, uh, Limbo, mm. for instance. Ah. Like it, it, it's it's that kind of like polished indie level offering. It seems, um, and it deals with themes of um, bullying and mental health, um, which are worthwhile themes that gaming is absolutely capable of exploring. I'm not sure it's gonna bring as many people to Stadia as, say, Halo did for the original Xbox. Mm. Amy, what do you think about all this? Um, like, you know, I know only a few things about Stadia, and most of it is what I'm reading. And I read recently, and I think it was on Polygon. If it's not, I apologise. But um, I read that some game developers were a little worried, like what Matt said, that Google... Like, because I know they said they would be updating it, and I heard that some game developers are actually worried that Google will leave them in the lurch, and I think that's a very real fear, considering that they've done it before, like Matt said, with Google Wave. So, um, yeah, I assume that for me personally, it's not a, a thing that I want because I am a console gamer. And I prefer physical games, mm. really. And like uh, we talked about before, it's different from buying a game and actually having it 
on your hardware. And I just don't think I could live <laughs> with a game system that doesn't have that. I think it doesn't really factor in that a lot of game players are also game collectors. Um, I mean, speaking personally, I've still got PS1 and SNES and I think probably even a couple of Master System games still. And those, I, I don't have the hardware set up for them. It's all in the attic. But like, if I wanted to, I could dig out my Master System, plug in like the Alex Kidd games or early Sonic games and play those today. What, does that sense of like permanence is lost with a streaming model? You don't have any any physical collection to yeah. go back to, and you don't know if what you've invested in, like literally what you've spent money on, is going to be accessible to you in five years, ten yeah. years. And there are reasons why games are released in limited editions and steelbooks and that sort of thing because of these exact reason that people want to, co to collect these things. They mm -hmm. they want they want their favourite game in the ultimate edition with all the sort of bells and whistles and the free prize that comes along with it sort of thing. Um, just sort of going back to what we touched on earlier about actual the the technological side and, and the limitations of streaming itself. Um, personally, as someone who suffers uh, from living in somewhere that has really, really crap internet, um, I know, because Google have a website, I think, that you type in, uh, what your speed is and it sort of tells you you will not be able to play this or you'll be able to do that or you won't be able to get 4k or whatever i typed mine in and it was pretty much don't bother buying it thank yeah, you thank the, you very much don't come <laughs> yeah um i believe the recommended speed for the 4k service is a 35 megabit connection um so like personally i live very close to a major city center i've got very fast internet i'm, I'm good at home um, I'll be interested to see if that holds up if I'm working out at the coffee shop, connecting to a Wi-Fi network that 70 other people are on and trying to stream game, how that experience will go. On the flip side, though, having a, a streaming cloud-based platform could actually future-proof Stadia mm. as, as a service. So they'll rather than you having to buy a new console every five to seven years they can do all the back-end upgrades and you will never have to to think about it. Mm. You know, d developers can constantly leverage as much power as they need or want. Um, I think with um, Jade Redmond uh, heading up Google's internal Stadia development teams uh, for first-party games, um, I think we'll start to see some very interesting games that use cloud computing in a way to deliver gaming experiences that you couldn't do on a console or on a uh, even just like an online connected game that is locally installed. Um, uh, Redmond herself gave an example in a recent interview with um, GamesIndustry.biz of uh, AI for non-player characters. So instead of having a, select, uh, a set of dialogue options in the outer worlds, mm. they would react more organically because whatever resources Google needed to draw on or the developers needed to draw on to to power that level of um, computational processing to give a, a broadly human reaction can be drawn on. 
And you'd argue that the £10 a month uh, subscription fee is just a way of you paying off that cost of buying a console. It's like it's almost like buying an Xbox for, for like three hundred quid. But that's thirty months worth of paying for that, I suppose. Yeah, um, you can access the the, or you will be able to when it launches Stadia Base for mm. for free. You could you still have to buy your games. So you spend fifty quid on uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. which I know is one of the launch games, um, and you could play that in full HD with stereo sound without having to pay the subscription cost. I kind of you know, how many people have done the upgrade to 4K is another question. Yes, exactly. Um, for for a lot of people, 1080p high definition is more than good enough. So will they be okay having this this free platform? Maybe they invest in an official Stadia controller. Maybe they use a controller they've already got, and you know they play it in HD on their living room telly that you know is perfectly good and they don't need all the bells and whistles of yeah. you know 7.1 surround sound and 4k hdr that's interesting um so uh, streaming services the future be- the future beckons i imagine and i think that is possibly the way forward and it's going to be really interesting to see how it all sort of crinkles out well i think regardless of any of the criticisms or concerns that we've raised today um like it or not i think it is the future um playstation has had PlayStation Now yeah. for, I think, nearly five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got around a million subscribers already. Um, Xbox is launching uh, Project X Cloud, mm-hmm. and it's already got um, Xbox Game Pass, uh, where you're that works a little differently. You're, you are downloading the games, but you're still paying a subscription fee for access to the games. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that is closer to the Netflix model because you're, you're getting a library. You're not then buying your games on top. Mm. Um, so I think one way or another, those factors are going to combine and we will end up in a streaming economy for games, possibly running concurrently to purchased or downloaded games. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all pans out. Uh, that's the end of our episode. Uh, thank you both for coming in. Uh, thank so a big thank you to Matt and Amy. Uh, and an even bigger thank you to you uh, for you listening at home. We're going to be back in two weeks' time with our next podcast. Uh, but in the meantime, keep up with all the LGBTQ video gaming stories on Gaming Magazine. Once again, that's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G mag.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you don't miss any of these amazing stories. Uh, Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks. See you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.